0: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan, who wrote a couple of articles this week covering a gaming industry press event that included former New York Giants receiver Amani Toomer, at which Toomer revealed he made it through his entire football career, not understanding how a point spread works. If we can take him at his word, I guess it's safe to assume Tumor was never involved in any point shaving schemes, <laughs> uh, or is he possibly just playing extremely dumb, like uh, Fat Tony on The Simpsons, asking, "What's a truck?"
1: Uh, no, you know, Eric, I think the tumors represented most of the countless pro athletes I covered over the years, uh, mainly NBA and NHL, but really every sport. I- I used to be surprised, but I, I think for these guys, there's an incredible amount of focus from, you know, when they're very young and intensity, they got to make it to a top college program, make yourself draftable, make the team become a star and so on. And I, I think with the occasional exception, athletes, I think they just don't want to be distracted by, you know, not only try to win, but win by this much or or if you lose, only lose by this much. Um, you know, the only uh set of athletes that I found are really into gambling at all are PGA Tour players who are big, right. big gamblers, uh, Phil Mickelson uh, being one of them. But um, they not only bet on every practice round, big numbers, but they, uh, you know, they bet every sport. They're, they're really into it. But the other sports guys, the team sports guys, not really.
0: Yeah, that, that all adds up. Uh, and uh, these are not sports people, uh, but I definitely have had my fair share of conversations over the past year plus with just general people, friends, non-sports bettors, where I had to explain what plus 150 or minus 200 means. Uh, a lot of people, if you if you haven't done any sports betting, you just might not know that stuff. Uh, I even tried to have a conversation with my wife a few months back explaining <laughs> sports betting, uh, but uh, in the end, the only conversation I need to have with her is that I'm winning more than I'm losing. Uh, she's, she's decided that the details don't really matter.
1: Yeah, well that's that's exactly uh not every other hobby pretty much you uh you're guaranteed to put out some money over the course of the years, you know, whether it's arts and crafts or uh, buying a bowling ball or whatever. So you can, you can break even on gambling uh, and get the entertainment out of it. That's pretty good.
0: Oh, those are two things, two hobbies that are far off my radar arts and crafts yeah. or going yeah, bowling. Definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, uh, I was going to make a bad pun about bowling uh, being not in my lane, but, uh, and I went ahead and made it anyway. So hey. there we go. Let's, <laughs> let's get off of that topic uh, and just thank everyone for joining us for episode number six, of gamble on if you missed any of our previous 59 episodes they're all available on soundcloud and on itunes and the apple podcast app once you've listened to a few episodes of gamble on we guarantee you'll understand how a point spread works Uh, but we don't guarantee you'll know how to be on the right side of them very often (laughs)
1: Amen, as we'll see a little bit later. But uh, speaking of a little later in the show, uh, we're going to be joined by Joe Ingram, a popular poker player, podcaster, and YouTuber who's gone mainstream over the past week or two by breaking the Mike Postle cheating scandal wide open. Uh, One word of warning, though. The interview segment was recorded prior to the rest of the podcast, so we can let you know up front that Joe uses a bit of mature language toward the end of the interview. So don't listen if your young kids are in the car, unless you want them to learn some of those words. That's fine. (laughs) That's up to you. Um, But do listen if you want to hear Joe's insights into this remarkable story. Um, First, it's been yet another busy week in the world of gambling so let's get to it here's your gamble on news of the week an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling
0: We kick off the news segment this week with a story that was first reported in a college newspaper. The Hawk, the student newspaper at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, uh, my dad's alma mater for what it's worth, uh, reported this week that the university has prohibited any St. Joe's student, regardless of whether they're student athletes, from placing an otherwise legal sports bet on a St. Joe's sporting event. As Sports Handle's Brett Smiley noted in his analysis of this news, Purdue University, in New Sports Betting State, Indiana, is considering a similar policy, and officials for Penn State and Pitt have expressed sentiments about sports wagering, suggesting they might be inclined to follow St. Joe's' lead. The big question is whether this can be enforced. Uh, For generations, college campuses have tried, at least in theory, to prevent underage drinking, uh, which, unlike sports betting in these states, is actually illegal, And I sort of kind of think alcohol gets consumed on a few of these college campuses anyway. Uh, So, John, what do you think? Will St. Joe's actually try to enforce this or are they just trying to look like they're on the quote unquote right side of the issue? And do you expect many other colleges to follow their lead here?
1: Yeah, it's an odd place to start. Uh, You know, imagine the incredible lack of wagering that likely takes place among St. Joseph's students. I mean, you know, there'd be a handful. So this is definitely just symbolic. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think it's convenient for Penn State and Pitt, though, to monitor the public's reaction if there is any, which there probably won't be. And then what steps the school uh, at St. Joseph's actually taking to try to get compliance. But um, uh, I do think, you know, I know Penn State has been outspoken on this. And uh, it's interesting, Purdue, another school that probably doesn't get a ton of students betting on them, uh, maybe against them, uh, (laughs) is considering it. Uh, But, you know, I can't mock too much. My state of New Jersey, you know, the pioneer in almost everything gambling in the 21st century doesn't allow betting on college games involving any New Jersey school. So that's a that's a that's a state regulation, not a school enforcing it.
0: Right. Well, at least that's it. That is a, a relatively enforceable way to approach this, uh, that they can detect whether sports books are offering these games or not. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the 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 St. Joe's thing seems completely unenforceable to me. And uh, Brett Smiley's deck under the headline on his Sports Handle story opined that the new policy is, quote, symbolic rather than pragmatic. And uh, you use the word symbolic. Yeah, we're, we're in agreement on that one. Um, I, you know, I was trying to think about how this could possibly be enforceable. You know, it seems totally unenforceable unless you're using a campus computer to place a bet, which I assume nobody uses campus computers anymore <laughs> anyway. That's uh, something yeah. from my day back when yeah. not everyone went to college owning a laptop. Um, if you're blatant enough to in-game bet uh, on a game, on your phone, at the game, and hold your phone out for all to see, including campus security guards, then maybe you'll get busted. But uh, yeah, this is basically just the university saying to parents and to the NCAA, we do not condone gambling. Um, all, all that said, I would hope the college coaches uh, at all schools, not just St. Joe's, but uh, all over, would have a talk with their players and let them know, you know, if we find out you're betting on our games, you're off the team, something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, that's exactly why, uh, uh, you know, you had Amani Toomer talking about getting involved with a responsible gaming program. You know, Mm you told me that at the University of Michigan, you know, decades ago, um, of course, he knew nothing about it. But they explained to him, look, you know, somebody says, hey, you know, how's your roommate doing? How's that ankle going? And, you know, they think, oh, it doesn't look too great. I don't know if he's going to play. You got to realize, look, you just gave a gambler a big leg up um, Mm -hmm. and now you could be in trouble yourself. So, you know, that's that's the kind of awareness they need. So, yeah, absolutely. Schools have been doing that for years and. Uh, really there's not much difference now compared to when it was illegal. Gambling's been gambling and uh, there is a a vulnerability of college students uh, athletes and so uh, that education has to be there and now if they want to add a little bit into it and by the way your geeky roommates tell them not to bet on the team either they can do that.
0: (laughs) Right and good uh, unintentional joke I think there on your part talking about an ankle injury and then saying a leg up so uh, Uh, we're we're, we're doing it all over the place in this episode. (laughs) Um, Our next story is one that follows on a topic we've touched on a few times on past shows, official league data mandates. As ESPN's David Payne Purdom reported over the weekend, Sport Radar, the company that Sports Handle reported was at the center of the shakedown for data fees a few months back, shut off access to NFL data before this past Sunday's games for sportsbooks unwilling to pay a premium for it. And because the NFL and Sport Radar have an exclusive deal, the sportsbooks have no alternative if they want league data with enough expedience to offer much in the way of in-game betting. So in many cases this week, sportsbooks couldn't offer in-game bets. The word is that the data will be plugged back in for this week's games at most of the Vegas books, but that Sport Radar is prepared to make all the way good on the threats soon. So, John, it would seem that even though integrity fees are essentially dead, the leagues have figured out a way to get a direct cut of sports betting, and the sportsbooks will be paying. Uh, John, we'll both be at the G2E conference in Vegas next week. Please set a line for how many times the words official league data will be spoken out there in a three-day span.
1: Uh, well, it, it'll have a higher over number than integrity fee this year. Since only, <laughs> yes. ga- only gaming industry folks will be using the latter, I suspect. But um, I don't have as much of a problem with official league data, especially if it's not mandated by a legislature, uh, compared to integrity fees, which was, you know, I want to wet my beak. Mm-hmm. Um, official league data is worth a lot if, if you don't want to offer in-game bets you don't have to pay anything. If you want to offer them, they're they're going to have the best info and you want it. So I don't have a big issue with that. But um, meanwhile, since uh, we and our colleagues, even collectively, probably can't get to every single panel uh, during G2E, uh, I suppose we should pony up for official data to see if my line of 15 goes over (laughs) or under on uh, official data being mentioned.
0: (laughs) That's very meta. If we need official data to track the use of the term official data, wow. Um, Yeah, I'm with you uh, just in terms of uh, I have no issue with the free market dictating this. This is certainly preferable to states passing laws that include data mandates. And sport radar has every right not to want to give its tech away for free. Uh, as Matt Ribotowski notes in his article this week on Sports Handle, uh, the, the cost for each sportsbook is just $5,000 flat fee for the rest of the NFL season. It seems pretty affordable. Um, however, he writes that some sportsbook operators are concerned about sport radar in a monopoly situation like this, being able to raise the price and gouge them later. Uh, So that seems maybe a a fair concern. You you don't like to see a monopoly type situation. However, I do feel Sport Radar wanting to charge everyone and not give it away for free. uh, That's that's perfectly fine. All right. Our final story focuses on a piece I wrote this week uh, after speaking to a couple of gamblers who are none too pleased with Ocean Casino and Resort in Atlantic City. Several people on Twitter voiced complaints about Ocean taking away their comp dollars and rewards without warning at the end of the summer, applying a new expiration policy retroactively to comps that weren't supposed to expire for many more months. In the cases of some gamblers, we're talking hundreds or even thousands of rewards dollars that disappeared. And while those who complained mostly got Got their rewards reinstated, they were warned to spend them quickly, uh, and those who don't know about the comp deletion wouldn't know to complain and will be in for a surprise the next time they go to Ocean. One of the gamblers I spoke to, a self described weekend warrior named Eric Rosenthal, noted that something similar happened when the property was Revel some seven years ago, and that when this happens at a casino, it's typically a sign of financial problems. Ocean sent me a statement that didn't deny any of the allegations, instead focusing on the fact that the comp dollars were restored for anyone who asked. I've written some 2,500 words on this and mostly said my piece, but I'm curious for your thoughts, John. How bad a look is this for Ocean, and does the fact that we seem to be the only website writing about it suggest they're going to escape more or less unscathed?
1: Um, yeah, you know, Eric, I'd say maybe unscathed in the public realm, but as you know, Atlantic City gambling is a very insular place, and mm-hmm. this response doesn't seem if it's going to prevent long term resentment among the insiders. We're talking about some major players here, you know, and uh, friends of the major players. So, what's weird to me is on your story, the gamblers acknowledged they were getting comps that were unsustainable in the long run. They get it. And they pretty much were just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Um, what they didn't expect was an anvil.
0: Yeah, and and it's specifically it's not uh, what one of the things Rosenthal said to me was, it's not that they changed their policy that he has an issue with, it's that they changed what it applies to that the the comps you've banked are now are now being taken away from you. Uh, But that it is absolutely Ocean's right to say, "Uh oh, uh, the the math isn't working out here. Uh, We're getting rid of that policy. That's fine. But it's just uh, applying it retroactively was his issue. But I mean, it seems pretty clear that Ocean has its share of problems uh, that property always has. And so I don't see This swirling into a hot enough topic to make this particular problem any kind of a tipping point. Although uh, when I posted the story on Facebook, it definitely got more attention and comments than most of my posts do. It seems some friends of friends who like to gamble in AC were fairly outraged and are much less likely to gamble at Ocean now that uh, you know, folds right into what, what you were just saying that within that insular community of, of people who do like to make trips trips to Atlantic city and, uh, and perhaps people who like to play big, uh, this is a, very, a pretty bad look for ocean.
1: Yeah. It just feels like uh, look, we need a better number this month. So do whatever you got to do. And we'll worry about down the road, down the road. But yeah, that doesn't seem like a great long-term business strategy.
0: Yeah. And I do like staying at ocean. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been up, I've been put up at the hotel a couple of times for boxing events I've covered. So, uh, I hope I didn't get my name on a band list by writing this article.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it is what it is. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling.
2: Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
0: The talk of the poker world over the past week or two, and the talk of the mainstream world as well when it comes to poker topics, has been the revelation of what sure looks like cheating by a poker player named Mike Possel in a live stream cash game at Stones Gambling Hall in Sacramento. And it's anyone's guess if this would have become a story at all, if not for the sleuthing of Joe Ingram. Joe is a poker player, a podcaster, whose podcast won the American Gaming Award for Poker Podcast of the Year in 2016, and a YouTuber with... Uh, last time we checked 99,000 followers so hopefully the gamble on bump can push him up over 100,000 anyway he's the man of the moment in poker media and we have a lot of questions for him Joe welcome to gamble on what's
2: up guys how's it going you uh you turned that professional voice on real quick, real well dude, it was, <laughs> we were we were we were casually speaking and then all of a sudden you you, you went to professional mode too I was like
0: I recognize that
2: because I do that all the time to people, too. So I I, I have fun with it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have to. uh, They're not too dramatically different, but you have to have at least a slight tweak once you hit record, I think. Yeah, Yeah. no doubt about Um, it. So you probably wouldn't have guessed a couple of weeks ago that you would be hearing your name come out of Scott Van Pelt's mouth on SportsCenter. Um, Tell me how the Mike Postle situation initially came across your radar, and did you suspect from the start that this had the potential to blow up into something major?
2: Uh, Well, it came across my radar because Veronica, she got in touch with me on uh, Instagram, and I've known her for a while. We've talked just randomly over time, and she basically just said, hey, I'm going to come forward with this guy, and I think he's cheating. Can you please help me out? Can you please take a look? There's going to be people that are mad at me, that are upset at me, and it really help me out a lot. So I said, yeah, you know, I didn't think much about it, right? I was like, whatever, like, Okay you know, she said they weren't listening to her. They didn't take her seriously. So I just assume, you know, maybe she's, maybe she's crazy. I I don't really know. I didn't really think much about it, Mm -hmm. but I figured like, Hey, you know, this is right up my alley in terms of what I like to do with investigations. So I was like, well, if there's something I'm going to find what it is. So, and then I started looking at it and I, I, like the first session I watched, I was like, okay, this is, this is crazy. So I I watched five sessions the first night and I was like, yeah, I I posted a bunch on two plus two about it. And then the first time, first night, it really went a little crazy when when Haral Bob started talking about it and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I, I obviously you don't expect you didn't I, I didn't have no idea it would it would get to this degree of like everyone in poker is talking about it and they're like, what's going to happen with Postle now? What's going to happen? You know what I mean? It's like ever you can't you can't really bring it up. I mean, it's very random and 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 very uncommon to see the poker world all come together and everyone create content about it and stuff like that. So it's very fascinating, I guess.
0: Yeah, but but so it sounds like within just watching a couple of sessions, you at least could tell this was something different than usual. Even if, like you said, you you didn't know it would blow up this big, but uh, within watching a few sessions, you could see this was something unique, unlike what you anything you'd investigated before.
2: I was yeah, I was I was just thinking, how did how has this guy been going on for this long, and how has this dude not been caught? Because it's obvious this dude is staring at his crotch and 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 he's an actor at the table like there's obviously something going on here so yeah it was pretty stunning just to imagine but then like you think about it more later and you say okay it makes sense like they don't they don't have many people that watch it regularly and also they don't have these aren't professional poker players who are watching so it it makes sense they didn't pick up on anything right
1: yeah joe for for people who uh, maybe they're uh Horse racing betters, or sports betters, or they're uh, watching. They're in the ga- and listening. They're in the gaming industry, um, but they don't know as much about poker other than you know what they've seen in a movie. Um, you know, obviously, uh, bluffing is legit and an important part of the game. Uh, gamesmanship. You can distract your opponent. There's a lot of things you can do to kind of get the edge on, on a rival player. Um, so, you know, for, for the person who isn't as informed, uh, where's the ethical line roughly, or where does it get a little tricky? And we're going to go into the details here, which are pretty extreme, but is there kind of a fine line where there's maybe disagreement in the industry a little bit about what's uh, kosher and what isn't?
2: You mean in terms of, I guess, observing play styles and identifying. Well, every, everything,
1: like I said, in a in a outsider's environment, bluffing would be like, wait a minute, you're lying about what cards you have, you know. And yet, in poker, of course, that's part of the game. And again, mm-hmm. uh, in some, you know, in golf, you wouldn't have any gamesmanship where you're sort of talking to the other player all the time and trying to, you know, get him off his game. That's like not considered uh, legitimate there. You know, so poker, obviously, part of the appeal of the game to the great players is uh, there's a lot of ways they can get in the other player's head and sort of get an advantage. Um, just almost psychologically um, mm-hmm. so, so I'm wondering if there's if there's a, a point at which um, you know somebody acts in a certain way that some players would say yeah that's part of the game and others would say wait a minute that's a little bit too much
2: yeah I think that's that's there's certainly some lines there and we very rarely see somebody cross that line like I mean, a an example is like a William kasouf who was on ESPN who was the the table talk guy and he was saying things that that really got into people's skins but I can't really remember ever, ever really seeing it myself at the table. Like I think most people sort of behave up to a certain amount of ethics up to the table and, and they're not going to right. They're not like shoving you or they're not hitting you. Or like, if you ask them to be quiet and they don't be quiet, you can call the floor. So I think with, with my posse specifically, it's a little devious diabolical when you watch it back because the guy's laughing in your face when he's taking your money and you can see the cards, you know? So it's this, it's this very interesting thing to go back to, but it does seem like people enjoyed playing with the guy and he was fun at the table and he was gregorious and stones live had a certain atmosphere to it in general. So it wasn't very, it wasn't like a serious environment. They were having a really good time there. So it kind of sucks to see this for them because like, it looks like it was a lot of fun and what they had built there.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds, it seems like the fact that they were playing relatively low stakes uh, might have helped him get away with it for so long that in a high, in a higher stakes environment maybe someone would have would have called him on it sooner is that is that your perception of things
2: yeah 100% i think that that's very much true is that if it was maybe 2550 this would this would get picked up i feel like earlier because the amounts of money won would be so high whereas in this game it's a little easier to justify because the play styles other players had were were a lot a lot weaker for the most part. I I don't think the a lot of more professional poker players in general. So if you're in a game with non professionals on a regular basis, that's going to be very good for you. If you're a 16 year psychological human behavior genius like Mike Posse, then you're like <laughs> this is you're in heaven right now with this game. So yeah, it was a very different vibe, a different game. Uh, great game. I mean, looks like looks like they're having fun up there in Sacramento. So if you're a professional <laughs> up there, you're probably enjoying the games. it Seems like. Right.
0: Right. So, so this is a case where the sum of all the hands you found is far greater than any individual hand in terms of suggesting Postle's guilt. But if you had to show a random person one hand that you broke down on YouTube, what would it be? What, what's the closest thing you have here to like a smoking gun hand? It's a great question.
2: I think that, as you mentioned, the sum of the hands is what makes it interesting. Whereas if I show you him folding top pair, a few times, you might say, "Well, that's nothing." Like, what else would the guy have, right? So, it's very easy to justify a lot of the individual hands on a case-by-case basis. But when you when you build his overall strategy and play style and patterns and tendencies and, and frequencies in and all these different situations and single race pots and, and multi-way pots, you're able to identify that this is a man who has a certain style. So when he deviates from that style, it's very obvious and apparent. And I think about one specific hand. I mean, it would probably be something where he looks down in his crotch before he does some crazy bluff, which is very, which is out there, you know, like there was a hand from yesterday's video where the guy bet $5,000 on the river with a, a, a value hand. A, a, he had an ace 10, the board's ace, like ace five, five, seven, three. The other guy is ace 10. The river, the pot's 2K, but it's $5,000 on the river. It's the most absurd. It's just absurd. So I think if you know what to look for and see these things, you can say, okay, like this seems a little bit fishy, but it would probably one of the more crazier bluff hands that the guy had with like the the four or five or ace deuce or seven, nine. There was a, there's probably about 10 or 15. I could kind of choose down from, to be honest about the the, the crazier bluffs he decided to do.
1: Right. Yeah. Joe, I understand you're a kindred spirit with me and our fascination with the Phil Ivey versus Borgata, um, speaking of of players, uh, the $10 million (laughs) mini Baccarat case, uh, very briefly. It's a seven-year saga. So in 2012, Phil, uh, Phil Ivey makes four visits to Borgata in Atlantic City, wins $10 million. Uh, turns out he has an Asian partner who is, uh, they're sort of edge sorting. Um, he wins the money by getting the casino dealers to uh, t- turn the cards in a certain way without flipping them over uh, and then leave them there. So when it's shuffled and the card comes up, only this woman can detect the the a tiny imperfection on the back of the card. And so uh, he did this in London as well at Crockford's. And um, so there've been two legal opinions by two different judges in two different countries, and both of them kind of struggled with the result because uh, there's no criminal act, it's not fraud, but it's kind of something a little dicey maybe. And, uh, you know, I found what I love about this case, and I've read thousands of pages uh, of the filings is that I, I still can't figure it out. I mean, it's kind of something, it's not something. And then lastly, the, the judge in the Jersey to sort of close the deal on her opinion or his opinion uh, said, uh, well, wait a minute, this is really uh, uh, marking the cards, effectively marking the cards. And I thought marking the cards, you had to touch the cards. Um, so is that kind of a flaw in this case? And, and also uh, do you and pretty much any, anybody in the poker business, are you pretty much all on IV side?
2: Well, this is something that I really dove deep into recently because I never quite understood exactly what took place. And it was, it was, it was, when I'm thinking about content for poker, I was thinking about, okay, what can I do that people have questions about that they are interested in, that they think they understand, they don't actually understand. And this Ivy case is perfect because no one really understands the different things here that I thought Phil Ivy was this mastermind, Baccarat genius. And then I, I, I'm like, ah, it's actually Chen Young sun She's actually the one who's the genius. And now I'm very, very curious exactly where she picked up the strategy from. And unfortunately, I haven't found enough information out there to really, really say where she learned how to do this from. So that's the part that's most fascinating to me. And in terms of if people are on Ivy's side, this is a very easy like us against them thing where who's going to side with the casino, right? Like no, one's going to say, yeah, I'm going to side with the casino over the special gambler who, who finally picked up an edge on this casino that hunts out edges on people on a continuous basis. so it's this, it's this perfect, like outrage sort of thing in a way. In that you always will get angry. Everyone's been in the casino. Everyone can say, everyone's thought about taking down the house. So I feel like when people see this, they're just, it's absurd to them that, that, the Crockford's would just say, nah, we're not going to give you the money. And then Borgata would find out about this case and then say, we're going to sue you for the money. It's still going to be ongoing seven years later, even though they filed the lawsuit, I think in 2014, but it's, it, it's, yeah, I think most people are on Ivy side. everybody I've talked to is on Ivy side. Who's going to, who would take the casino side of things really? Like that's <laughs> a very unpopular side to take, which I'm sure someone out there would, but listen, I read through a lot of YouTube comments for videos that, that are made on this subject. There are, very few people are taking the casino side on this. In this yeah, event.
1: absolutely. I think even the general public is that way. This is kind of sticking it to the man. I mean, Phil Ivy kind of is the man himself, but uh, Borgata is even bigger and MGM's even bigger. So uh, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, Borgata is the man and this guy stuck it to the man. So yeah, we'll have to talk later. I, I've gotten maybe a little further down the road on some of the
2: background and uh, I'd love to help you out. Yeah, cool. That sounds good. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about what's not out there in terms of publicly with 30 for 30 podcast or or uh, the, the show, the CBS documentary, or the, whatever it's called, the, the 60 Minutes documentary, and then the article about the Chiang Yung Sun. And so I've listened, ever, I've consumed every piece of information I can find publicly on the internet about this case. So I'm like, I before before the possible thing, I felt like I was I could, I could talk about it with anyone, but now like the possible thing, I'm like, now I know this better than almost anything right now. So I'm
0: like, that's, that's at the tip of my tongue for sure. Right. So so coming back to the possible thing for for one last question for you, I'm curious... What is the ultimate impact of this scandal going to be? And I'm not asking so much in terms of Mike Possel and his future, but rather in terms of the impact on poker. Like, could this precipitate the downfall of live streaming? Uh, You know, even for something much more closely scrutinized, like the WSOP, could their live streaming plans be in jeopardy? Is this going to scare players away from poker and spread fear that the games are rigged? Like, what's the potential bigger picture ramifications?
2: Yeah, it's certainly a great question to to ha- to have and to think about, and it's, it doesn't seem to be anything that anyone's really worried about, right? Like I think most people just say, "We got to bring this possible guy down." It's clear he's got inside man. Like you know, the, it, it seems like the more of the sentiment is is towards possible rather than towards poker or towards live streaming in general. So you can say all press is good press. That's what people say, right? Like, I think just the way Nevada does things for live streams versus the way California does things for live streams is such a different process in that California, like, they don't give a fuck what you do out there, man. You know, you can do anything you want in those rooms out there. I've been in the they, no, There's there's not much policing in force. Let's put it like that. Whereas in, in Nevada, I'm led to believe there's a lot more enforcement. So, I I don't I don't know really like I do think there probably needs to be an overhaul because it's so easy to cheat in these live stream games if if you're if you have any sort of device on you as the person who's inputting the cards in real time that you can communicate with somebody in real time and there's no sort of scanning going on in either side of the direction it's just very easy to have to play take place so I'll probably make some content that says what can we do to change this how can we fix this how can we improve this situation so. But I don't think it'll really hurt things overall. It'll maybe hurt people's interest in poker. I think it'll hurt my interest in poker long-term because like, I've been watching Impossible Straight own people's souls for, <laughs> for, for 60 hours now. So like, I can't really watch regular Bluff again. So for me, you know, I, I don't know. It, it just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth, unfortunately, for poker, especially with online. And now we have this. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what, what takes place with, with what you brought up then.
0: Yeah, I wonder if the, the next time that you're playing that, like, you have a couple hands in a row where it seems like a guy's reading you well, if you're not going to be able to separate skill from being suspicious of, uh, of everyone who wins a pot for, from you going forward after, after living and breathing this uh, so many Well, hours. yeah,
2: I think that's very true. That happened after I did the America's Cardam investigation. That happened with me playing online. I never felt that way online for the previous 10, 10 11 years. And then right after I did that, I saw how easy it was to cheat, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm like holy fuck, you know, like the, the collusion, or if you have any sort of bots, it, like who knows what software is out there that we don't know about. So ever since then, I felt really uneasy about playing online poker on any site. So it it certainly ruined online poker for me, unfortunately. And I don't think this will ruin like the the two five ten game at the at the Aria, or like the one two five at the Win in terms of PLO, but. I I feel very uneasy about playing any live stream games and any live stream game I've played in the past, I feel a little bit, you know, uncertain about, I guess, for the most part. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be something that's on people's minds. Unfortunately, the weaker poker players' minds who can't quite grasp the reality of you're probably not going to get cheated at the 1-2 game with the win. And, like, so for those people, it might deter them from coming back. So that could be a big, that could be a problem for them, yeah.
0: All right, well, uh, great, great stuff. Great talking to you, Joe. Uh, everybody listening, uh, subscribe to Joe's YouTube channel. Get him over the hundred thousand mark. Um, and uh, Joe, uh, thanks again for coming on the podcast.
2: Thank you, guys. Very, very nice talking with you. And I imagine, John, I'll talk with you uh, again very soon when I when I get back in the Ivy video because I'm I'm almost done with that. I just have I probably spent about fifty hours editing this thing unnecessarily. Of course, I just watch things back. Hundred times when I do it, and I'm trying to try new effects and new ideas and new things. So uh, I'd be be I'd love to kind of get more information from you and uh, kind of kind of hear hear what you know.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, uh, just the fact that the judge's ruling uh, leads off with a "you quote was, you know, that's that's the kind <laughs> of case it is. It's a lot of great stuff in there. We get talking to you.
2: Cool. All right, guys, take care. <laughs> you
0: too. Thanks a lot, Joe. All right, thanks, thanks Joe. guys. Two men, Two men.
2: ten thousand dollars.
0: Will they run it up
2: or blow it all?
1: It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
0: We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first we update our betting bankroll. And <sighs>
1: <laughs> Sorry. that Sorry. sigh was, says was, it all. That <laughs> was involuntary. Really.
0: That's <laughs> Uh, we went big on the Twins at plus 196 against the Yankees. I bet $50. John bet $200. We crashed hard and fast on that one. The Twins got swept and the imaginary sports books collected some easy imaginary money from us uh, and completing our horrific disaster of a season betting on baseball. The Dodgers lost in five games to the Nationals, bringing John's $100 bet made a month or two ago on L.A. to win the championship at plus 280 odds to a disappointing end. I'm going to propose a new rule, John. Uh, Just as you decided to learn from our failed over-under win total bets uh, that we stay away from overs on middle-of-the-pack teams, I think we should learn from this one as well. Never bet any baseball or hockey team during the season or at the start of the playoffs at less than plus 500 odds. The, the MLB and NHL playoffs are, are just too much of a crapshoot. There's too much variance and, and randomness to ever bet a favorite. How do you feel about that rule?
1: Uh, that is so stipulated.
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh, Thankfully, uh, our other bet last week was a winner. Uh, Cooper Cup over six and a half receptions on Thursday night against Seattle. He had nine catches, so we won $120 there. That means we lost $230 for the week. We're now $487 below our starting stack. Plus, we have $2,317 on hold in futures bets, leaving us $7,196 available to bet with this week. And you're up first.
1: Uh, Well, the only thing I'll say about the Yankees, is the line was so high in the series that I don't regret the bet itself. But Mm -hmm. going 200 instead of 100 without due diligence on a (laughs) Twins uh, starting pitching staff is uh, a bit embarrassing. So onward and upward. Um, Let's go Notre Dame minus 10 versus USC, 110 to win 100. I hit with Notre Dame two weeks ago. Um, For some reason, the Irish are not stuck with inflated odds they usually get, you know, given the size of their fan base. And um, that's fine with me. Notre Dame's at least two touchdowns better than the Trojans.
0: Okay. Okay. As for my first bet, I'm going to keep doing this until it fails. Once again, I'm betting a Thursday night football player prop. Uh, this time, I'm going with Daniel Jones, under 224.5 passing yards. First off, the Patriots' defense is among the best in the NFL. Second, it's expected to be windy at Foxborough tonight. Not great news for either passer in the game. And third, Jones is without Saquon Barkley, Wayne Gallman, Evan Engram, and Sterling Shepard. Uh, Golden Tate is about the only NFL-quality pass catcher he has. I considered betting Tate over 52.5 yards, uh, but I think the safer move is the under on Daniel Jones. It does come with a minus 112 Vig, but that's OK. Let's risk 112 to win 100 on Jones under 224.5 yards.
1: That's very plausible. Yeah. So uh, I was tempted on Georgia Tech getting a big number versus Duke this week, um, but it slipped to a mere 16.5 last day. Look. So mm-hmm. what I liked is the fact that Tech isn't good, but they can move the ball. So let's go instead with the over at 49.5, 110 to win 100.
0: Okay. Uh, as for my second bet, I'm going with my old reliable boxing, Uh, a really outstanding light heavyweight title fight on Friday night on plain old free ESPN. Uh, So if you're ever going to check out a boxing match, John, uh, this this is a good one to settle in for. It's a battle of unbeatens from countries on Donald Trump's speed dial. Uh, Oleksandr (laughs) Gvozdyk of Ukraine, 17-0, 14 KOs versus Artur Beterbiev of Russia, 14-0, 14 KOs. And it's a true toss up fight. Fox bet has Gvozdik as the minus 125 favorite. Better Biev is even money plus 100. And to me, I make Better Biev the ever so slight favorite. Uh, Should be an excellent fight, but let's bet $100 to win $100 on Arter Better Biev.
1: Now Trump's a former casino owner, so we're delving in the sports realm. Uh, which <laughs> guy would he pick? <laughs> uh,
0: that's a good question. Uh, I would say uh, it depends uh, who's 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 greasing his palms more uh, would be would be my guess, and uh, and we'll leave it at that.
1: There
0: we go. <laughs> All right, we close things out with the fast five, uh, where I had a meh week, and you had a below meh week. <sighs> uh, we both pushed with the Ravens minus three. I went 2-2 two and two otherwise, you went 1-3 and three otherwise. So you're still in the lead with a record of 13-11-1, and, and I'm two games back at 11-13-1. Long way to go, though, and I'm up first this week. And let's start with the Thursday night game. I've made my feelings on this one pretty clear already. 17 points is a lot, but I'm willing to lay it with New England against this totally depleted Giants offense. The backdoor cover always scares you, but... I tend to think Belichick will keep the pedal to the metal because the Giants are the team that deprived him of two Super Bowls. Uh, He might leave his starters in longer in a blowout here. Hard to see the Giants scoring more than 13 points. Hard to see the Patriots scoring fewer than 30. So uh, that sounds like a New England cover to me. Uh, Next up is a play I'm making mostly based on the Super Contest line. The Seahawks are minus one at Cleveland. They're as high as minus two and a half at some sports books. I love that extra point and a half of cushion, so I'm taking Seattle. Uh, and my next game also has a discrepancy on the line. The Superbook has the Chiefs minus four and a half at home against Houston, whereas other books have it at five and a half. And granted, games don't land on exactly five points very often. That's not a hugely meaningful point. Uh, however, I think the Chiefs will be motivated to bounce back. After last week's loss at home to the Colts, they have the coaching edge here, uh, and that's as close as you'll get to hearing me say something nice about Andy Reid. Um, I am a little nervous about Patrick Mahomes' ankle, but I'll take my chances and back Kansas City minus four and a half. Uh, next up, I'm just not sure that I get why the two and three Jaguars are favored over the four and one Saints. I know it's in Jacksonville, but. Home field means less than ever with all the replay rules negating officiating edges and the long timeouts taking the crowd out of it. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater has proven he can handle the offense just fine. I don't know. You're giving me a point and a half to bet on the superior team. I'll take it. Um, And lastly, picking my favorite team, the Eagles, did not blow up in my face last week. So let's tempt fate again. They're getting three at Minnesota. Minnesota. As noted, uh, home field hasn't been a factor at all so far this season. The Vikings do well against the bad teams. They've beaten the Falcons, Giants, and Raiders, who, okay, maybe the Raiders are better than we thought, but still, uh, those three wins for the Vikings don't prove a lot. The Vikings don't do so well against the playoff-caliber teams. They've lost to the Bears and Packers. The Eagles are in that latter category. I like my birds to win outright, so I'll gladly take them at plus three.
1: Wow, that's interesting because that was about my sixth pick and I didn't make it. So uh, hmm. we only have three of the same games. Um, okay, <laughs> not always together, but okay, um, all right. Yeah, Patriots minus seventeen for some of the same reasons you gave. But uh, Patriots, are the only team in the league, I'd probably give this amount of points on. Um, uh, they their history of covering big spreads is tremendous. Um, plus the short week on the road is brutal for anybody. Um, and then you got less time to prepare for Belichick than ever, you know. So all the stars are aligned. I'm not going to run away from that one. Patriots minus seventeen. Um, I'm going Browns plus only one versus seahawks Hmm. um my brown season underpick continues to percolate so i'm rooting for a tie but um i'm just still not sold on the seahawks they're not i i just i just can't quite buy in on them um and i'm going against you again texans plus four and a half at chiefs um everybody loves pat mahomes but the chiefs have not impressed in the last few games um and as you said mahomes ankle is good but not perfect is the way Mm -hmm. he puts it so i'm gonna keep an eye on that ankle and go texans This one, this is the most shocking spread I've seen all year. Dolphins getting three and a half versus Redskins at home. Uh, What do I know? But I'm sure the spread should be three and a half in the other direction. Um, The Dolphins have been more competitive with a tougher schedule. They're healthy. The Redskins are not. It's an absolutely crazy spread. And, you know, we know where that usually leads, So especially (laughs) the way I've been going. (laughs) <laughs> and finally, a Cowboys minus seven at the Jets. Um, I seriously pray that Sam Darnold's spleen survives this game in all seriousness. But um, the Jets have far more problems than even a good Darnold can solve. And obviously the Cowboys are looking for a bounce back.
0: Interesting. I was actually – my – my would have been my sixth or seventh choice maybe was to go the opposite way on that one. I was thinking about, uh, about the Jets uh, maybe getting a, a little life uh, with Sam Darnold back uh, in the lineup. But I decided to stay away, and I was staying – way the hell away from Washington and Miami. Uh, I I actually, I'm not so surprised by the spread. Um, maybe by maybe by the number, but at least not by the fact that Washington is the favorite here. But regardless of where you put the, that number, I just, I, I don't want anything to do with that game.
1: Uh, the last time the Redskins were relevant was they led the Eagles 17 nothing opening week. <laughs> yes. They, they've done nothing, nothing since then to suggest that they should be favored against a college team. But... <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Joey Ingram. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore bets. Go to U.S. Bets dot com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple podcast app. And with that, John, the floor is yours. Please take us out.
1: Well, Eric, it's the 100th anniversary of the Chicago Black Sox scandal, and uh, there's a lot of ink about it going on out there, obviously. Um, one is by ESPN Steve Wolf out today. Um, he mentions our teammate Matt Ryboltowski on SportsChannel.com. by the way, an article on the future of legal MLB-backed in-game betting in a sport that until last year was still battling New Jersey in court on the grounds that the spread of legal gambling could and would ruin baseball forever. So, um, But a uh, little bit off that topic uh, of the 20th century or 21st century rather. Um, I'm a bit of a baseball historian. I'm an original Hall of Merit voter over at baseballthink Uh, I just like to burst a couple of the common myths, and there's a lot surrounding the scandal. Uh, some of them spread through the well-done but fanciful Eight Men Out movie, which was a great piece of fiction. Um, <laughs> The players were convicted for their misdeeds. Wrong. They were acquitted and they're banned for life anyway. Uh, White Sox owner Charles Comiskey paid miserly wages to these great players. Wrong. They had MLB's highest payroll. Granted, there's no free agency, so you can say they were cheated that way. But they, they were relative to the other players. They were treated well. Uh, pitcher Lefty Williams' life was threatened during the series. Zero evidence of this. Um, Fixing a game sent shockwaves to Major League Baseball. Uh, wrong. Fixing a game has been prevalent almost from day one in the 1860s. Um, there's even evidence of players such as Ty Cobb and Tris Speakers uh, fixing games. Uh, in fact, rumors that the sh- 1918 Chicago Cubs had made money fixing their loss to Babe Ruth's Red Sox and helped prompt the 1919 fix in the first place. Um, how about dumb, uneducated players with the dupes of ruthless gamblers? Oh, that's, that pun is unintended, but of uh, ruthless <laughs> gamblers. Uh, in fact, it is undisputed in real life that it was the players who came to the gamblers, not the other way around. Um... Sheila Joe's case is complicated. I'm not it's not all good for him for sure, but not enough time to explain that part here, but the other ones are are simple. And so I just hope that sets the record straight partly and until next time everybody. Gamble on.